everybody, Jonathan Doyle with you once again for the Supply Side Podcast. It's been great the last few days. Managed to get a fair bit of content out there and seeing it get some great take up around the world. So if you're listening, thank you so much. I'd love if you could grab this episode, perhaps post it on your social media feeds. Make sure you've subscribed. It's a great joy to be doing this. I'm learning a great deal as I go. Abraham Lincoln famously said that it is better to close one's mouth and appear to be an idiot than to open one's mouth and remove any remaining doubt. I always like that. I always like because I'm learning in this space and it's a great uh, privilege to interview so many great guests, be reading great books, but to position myself as somebody coming late to this space of supply side and predictive classical economics and feeling like I've woken up in a dream going, how did I not realize this a lot earlier? And speaking of that reflective modality, this morning I was on the bike, I did about a I did about a 75, 80k kilometer training ride this morning for my American friends. I guess that's about maybe... 55, 60 miles, something like that, give or take. And I was listening to Peter Schiff, as I do. I really enjoy listening to Peter's work. And somehow the supply-side gods just happened to load up into my YouTube premium uh, listening order, my saved playlist, Peter Schiff's speech to mortgage bankers on the 13th of November, 2006. Now, if you haven't seen this or listened to it, I'm going to post the YouTube video here on the page at SupplySidePartners.com. And if you're listening to this on the page or if you're listening to it somewhere else, come across to SupplySidePartners.com and uh, look for this episode. It's February 11. And I'm going to post Peter's video here. It's extraordinary. I said to my wife, Karen, this morning, it just blew my mind. He's there in 2006. And he is just, just almost perfectly delineating the global financial crisis which wasn't going to happen for about another 12 18 months he just lays out the complete case and it's a room full of mortgage brokers right so uh, that's what i like about him because he just doesn't pull any punches he's not there to make anyone happy and it's extraordinary he just outlines what's going to happen with fannie mae freddie mac how the government's going to prop up banks and it's surreal it's really strange to be listening to something 18 months before it happens. So I'll get you to check that out if you can. But also listening to his recent stuff and just, I guess, the study I've been doing over the last 18 months, I think we're in the same place. I don't see how we can't be. And that's what I really want to talk about in this episode. I want to share with you, well, not in the same place, but uh, possibly worse, because as I said in yesterday's episode, what most governments do is kick the can down the road, right? debt ceilings and no collapse on my watch. It's like uh, our political leaders just seem content to borrow, run massive fiscal deficits and then kick that can down the road. And by the time it really blows up, they'll be retired somewhere on an enormous pension with uh, permanent security, which they're going to need when the social fabric starts tearing in pieces due to the complete absence of low taxes and stable money. Now, today, quickly, I want to talk to you about a great article by one of the best journalists, at least here in Australia, in the economic space, Robert Gottliebson. I really recommend his work. He's been in the game for a very long time, and he's not quite co-authoring, but basing this article on an extended conversation with Christine Todd, who's based in Boston. And Christine is the fixed income head for Amundi, which is... 
Europe's largest investment manager. So we're going to assume that Ivamundi is the largest investment manager in Europe and Christine Todd is the head of fixed income investments and she probably knows a little bit about the bond market and the big picture. So in this really good article, I'll post a link to it too here on the page at supplysidepartners.com. They outline about 10 key factors that are going to be relevant from the new Biden administration. So I want to spin you through about sort of seven of these really quickly. Number one, U.S. consumers have $2 trillion in spare cash. Now, this is Christine Todd's analysis with Robert Gottliebson. This isn't me making it up. $2 trillion in spare cash, but importantly, it's not evenly distributed. So all that stimulus money and pent-up uh, UBI bits and pieces have not been evenly distri- distributed And there's a sort of a disparity. African-Americans, women, Hispanics, Latinos are not evenly represented, which they both argue leads to a huge prosperity divide. And I don't know how much history, but the more you see huge prosperity divides, the more you see an unraveling social fabric. So we go back, of course, to Nathan Lewis's magic formula. When you get low taxes and stable money, when you get a solid middle class, you don't tend to get that insane prosperity divide and you don't tend to get that social meltdown. So friends, $2 trillion in spare cash waiting to be unleashed. We'll get to that in a minute. Number two, along with that uh, massive stimulus and $2 trillion in spare cash in the US domestic economy, we've got lower interest rates in QE which, of course, expand this inequality by doing what? By something I've been staring at for months, inflating asset prices. So you must have been asleep if you have not noticed. Well, of course you've noticed the massive bubble in the equity markets here in Australia. Property markets are going through the roof. How is that happening? And what it's doing of course, is it's entrenching that inequality, isn't it? Because as asset prices go through the ceiling, guess who can't afford them? The poor. And we get that increasing level of social breakdown. Number three, President Biden's plan to double the minimum wage to almost $15. And typically what this sounds to many people like a wonderful idea. Yes, all these people who are working hard at difficult jobs, they deserve to be paid well. Unfortunately, of course, what it does, the first thing is that President Biden's able to mandate it for U.S. government. Any U.S. government workers on minimum wage are going to get a hefty big pay rise, but he can't mandate it for the private economy. So as that pressure comes onto the private economy, it will, of course, people will begin demanding that private companies provide the same level of minimum wage. What do they do? They usually don't just roll over and hand over the cash. What they'll do is automate So they'll automate every single process possible, which will get rid of jobs. They'll offshore it, or of course they'll raise prices to cover the huge increase. And and this is industries particularly that have got top-heavy with low-paid workers. So you can look at areas like some areas of food, retail, service jobs. Whatever they can't automate, they've got to increase prices, right? Which will drive inflation. Often this, you know, as whenever government gets in the business of trying to impact markets... The results, there's always these endless knock-on effects. So what a minimum wage increase will do will basically put huge numbers of poor people out of any chance of getting a job, whether through AI, robotics, automation, offshoring. 
and the rest of us will be paying for this wonderful idea through increased prices. Number four, we're looking at from President Biden, increased wealth taxes and capital gains taxes, and of course, taxes on deceased estates. You're listening to a great interview this morning. The government doesn't create any money, friends. It only takes it from somewhere else. The government doesn't produce wealth. I'm sure they would say that they create the conditions by which wealth can be pursued, but that hasn't been my experience in business, and at least not thus far. So we're going to see an increase in wealth taxes, capital gains, deceased estates, and friends, what do really rich people do every time the government does this? They find a way around it. So remember, the great French actor Gerard Depardieu became Russian. He's as French as as French could possibly be, but now he's Russian because they just went after him with massive wealth taxes. So people leave. People leave. They vote with their feet. And look at the massive exodus from California into Texas and Florida. Sooner or later, when governments, they get less of what they tax. So people will find a way around it. So it just encourages all sorts of avoidance. Number five, we've got some inflation drivers, according to Christine Todd and Robert Gottliebson in the US economy, of course. We're going to see a huge surge in community consumer spending when the vaccine stuff kicks off and people start getting out and getting amongst it. So if there is going to be a crash, I don't think we're going to see it in the very short term, but we are going to see this big surge in consumer spending. And of course, that will drive inflation as prices rise, as a huge amount of new dollars, but they're not unlimited, begin to chase relatively scarce goods and services. So number six, almost done. Christine Todd and Robert Gottliebson tell us that the US is facing skilled labour shortages that are impacting the supply chain. Skilled labour. All the jobs that people stopped doing, you know, carpenters, plumbers, and the people who are capable of working with their hands in important ways. We can only do so much with robotics at this point, right? Sooner or later, this is having an impact on supply chain which will put pressure on wages, which will put pressure on inflation. Last one, green objectives. Huge initiatives around green objectives for the US under President Biden. But interestingly, it's not going to be done through regulation. Apparently, according to these guys, it's going to be done through capital markets. So if you're in business, you won't be able to get money. (laughs) You won't be able to get money unless you're singing from the Green Playbook. And we've had an example of that here in Australia just this week. So ANZ, one of our major four banks, decided not to fund important investment at the port of Newcastle, where huge amounts of Australia's coal goes from. And then another Australian bank stepped in two days later and said, hey, you don't want to do it? We'll do it for you. But interestingly, this is where the pressure is going to come. We're going to see that you won't be able to access capital unless you are singing from the green and politically correct playbook. I guess the implications of that are significant, right? It's interesting that capital capitalist economies, free market economies, have ended up figuring out how to look after the environment and go to parts of Africa, go to parts of the emerging markets, right? What do you see? Huge amounts of pollution. It seems that free markets eventually figure out how to not only produce wealth, but also to minimize impact on the environment. And pretty much if you just leave us alone to do it, we usually figure it out in time. But now you can see here, government's going to distort capital markets now, right? So viable investment opportunities are not going to get funded because of distortion that's not coming from direct regulation, but rather through manipulation of capital markets. My gosh, it's gone crazy. It's gone to hell in a handbasket, friends. I now understand why this is called the dismal science. I'm a pretty optimistic guy, but you spend enough time reading this. Well, look, as far as I'm concerned... 
This is all inputs, right? This is all information. And our job is to take this information and make astute choices to look after the people we care about, to look after employees, to position our businesses and our wealth and our finances to weather what has to come. Peter picked it back in 2006, but the next one has to be bigger. I was listening to Jim Rogers the other day. Of course, Jim Rogers co-founded that the huge fund with George Soros and I listened to his book, audiobook Investment Biker. And he was introduced recently. This is a guy that has been at the heart of global macro for decades. And he just said, this next crash will be the worst ever because the debt is off the scale. All right, this, I'm not going to ruin your day, your night, your evening, wherever you are with this stuff. But there's some highlights, friends. Check out this speech back in 2006 from Peter Schiff. That's it from me today. Please make sure you check out the website, supplysidepartners.com. Flip me an email, get in touch. I've, I've crept back onto Twitter. I struggle dealing with with Twitter, but it's there. So if you do a search for Supply Side Podcast or The Supply Side Podcast, you'll find me there on Twitter. And that's getting underway. Please make sure you've subscribed. Please post these links on your social feeds. That'd be a huge blessing to me. God bless you, everybody. My name's Jonathan Doyle. This has been today's Supply Side Podcast. And I'm going to have another message for you very soon.